The Stranger Things Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Elliot, Elliot. I taught him how to talk now. He can talk now. Elliot. Look what he brought up here all by himself. Elliot. What's he need this stuff for? Elliot. E.T., can you say that? Can you say E.T.? E.T. E.T. Ha ha! E.T. 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 Be good. Be good. I taught him that too. You should give him his dignity. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Oh. E.T. Home phone. E.T. phone home? E.T. phone home. Hello and welcome to the Stranger Things podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the Netflix original series, Stranger Things. I'm Daryl. And I'm Addie. And I am John. Thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome back, John. I didn't introduce you. I loved, you know, I don't, I don't remember how we did it when you and Karen were on, but I'm like, hey, he's been on this podcast before. <laughs> of course, he's a GSM host, so he gets to introduce himself. That's right. Been here, done that. <laughs> You're a crusty old veteran. <laughs> How are you both? Good. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's fun good. to be and exciting to be sitting here talking about Stranger Things. Actually, we're talking yeah, about we keep, ET. Well, 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 no, but we keep getting little little morsels of Stranger Things. This is awesome. Yeah. It's it's really cool because the last time Addie and I did one of these types of podcasts, the filming hadn't started yet and and technically the last time we did any podcast because Addie and I did two for the month of April but that was while we were at Fan Expo Dallas so we had the panel that was there and then our recap of, of the event because we're stranger dangers <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so this is exciting because yeah as you're right John there's lots of stuff coming out now that filming has officially started yes yes this is yes and I've got a buddy, Jody Smith, a lot of folks know who in the podcasting space, and he works with my company, Pro Podcast Solutions, as our podcast launch specialist. And hmm. he lives in Atlanta. So we were chatting the other day. He and I usually meet on Friday. So this was a week ago. And he said, yeah, they've been filming Stranger Things just down the around the corner from my house. And I'm like... Tell me more. He's like, well, they've been at the mall. And he's like, they got the mall. This is like, he says, this is one of those old malls. It's it's not dead, but it's, you know, it's not really alive. Yeah. And I think every town's got one of those. We do. and um, We do? We do. It's Shepherd Mall. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a legit mall when I was a kid, but it's long since. I've never even heard yeah, of that. Like this, like, <laughs> any, I won't get into it right now. Like, there's no stores that I know I've left in there. There are businesses that run their operations out of it, but. Anyway, um, he said, yeah, they've taken over part of that mall and they've, they've got their filming tents and all that stuff up. So anyway, if, if you follow us on Facebook, which is, Addie? www.facebook.com slash things Yeah. Uh, he, he, he went back by and said, dude, you got to get me some, some info. And he went over and got some photos of it and stuff like that. So it looks like we'll be getting a mall featured in, uh, in the show season three which is only appropriate i mean malls were oh, yeah. really hitting their high in the in the 80s yeah they, well yeah your mom dropped you off and came back a few hours later I mean, that's just what what we did yeah you your mom did that 
Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a different time. <laughs> it was. We we didn't live near a mall. Like if we were going to the mall, we were going as a family because it would take an hour to get there. So there was oh, no dropping yeah, off yeah. and coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and my first job, well, my first job that I was at longest, I should say, was at Belk Department Store. And that was through my junior, senior year in high school and freshman year in college. So, like, literally, uh, the mall was a part of me uh, when I was in high school. So okay. It was great. It was great. It was great. Did you say Belk? Belk, yes. Never, um, never heard of it. Yeah, clothing, house goods, that kind of stuff. So We had Bells, so, but we didn't. I've never heard of Belk. Belk, yes. Big, big deal. It's it's uh, headquartered here in Charlotte. So Okay. So, yep. Well, cool. Well, that's some of the news that has been going on out there in Stranger Land. Stranger what? Stranger Things Land. I was I was trying to say Stranger Things Land, and I think it came out Stranger Langs Land. Yeah. Anyway, whatever you want to call it, we've got more news. Uh, so let's get into it. Oh, geez, I'm going first. Okay. Eddie <laughs> um. <laughs> clearly looks at the notes before we hit the record button. <laughs> So, this is from Bustle.com. If you're still mourning the loss of Bob Newby and Muse, the Netflix's new Stranger Things Where Are They Now video is what your life has been missing. The streaming site released a new video featuring Sean Astin and Muse holding each other's hands through their characters' Stranger Things (laughs) death scenes. It's weird, cathartic, and sweet all at once. And full disclosure, it might end up making you miss Bob all over again if you've already been through the grieving process, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> On Thursday, May 24th, Netflix unveiled an official Where Are They Now video featuring Aston and Muse hanging out and rewatching their characters' devices together. The whole thing looked therapeutic, and it's just nice to know that these two great actors have each other to rely on for support as they move forward in their careers. And in the afterlife. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I have to ask, where is this video? Because when I saw these notes, I like immediately sought this out and I couldn't find it. Uh, Is it like on Facebook and stuff or no, it's on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't look on Netflix to see if they added it. You know how sometimes they'll have these little bonus videos or trailers and things like that. I haven't looked to see if it's on there as well, but it's definitely on YouTube and it's definitely worth the watch. I mean, (laughs) it was good. And then when, when spoiler alert, when, so they first watch Muse's death scene and he takes it pretty well. He's strong. And Sean's like, okay, if you can do it, I can do it too. And then Muse <laughs> takes his little paw and pats Sean on the hand, you know, like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's great. It's definitely worth a watch. Uh, first thing after we're done, that's where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this one comes from EliteDaily.com. Stranger Things Season 3 took a while to get started with filming, but now that things are officially underway, there have been hints at what's to come dribbling out of production. That continued this week as cast members Noah Schnapp and Millie Bobby Brown joined director Sean Levy and casting director Carmen Cuba for Netflix's version of Upfronts known as FYC, which is F-Y-S-E-E. While the four managed not to blurt out spoilers, Brown did reveal Eleven's Stranger Things Season 3 story is something really beautiful for her to play. As for what's 
to expect in Season 3, Brown was very eloquent about her character's new direction. Speaking to Variety, she said, quote, It's a beautiful storyline for Eleven this season. It's really a coming of age for her and understanding of what being a normal teenage girl is. So that should be good. I think that'd be a good storyline for her. As long as, you know, we still get some butt-kicking Eleven, I'll be happy about that. Uh, it goes on to say, as for Schnapp, according to Variety, he said on the panel he's very excited for the direction season three's script takes his character and the story in general. He said, quote, season one, I feel like, was more playful. Season two was a lot darker. And then season three does really well blending them together. And that's what I love about it. Meanwhile, Levy took a moment to sort of apologize for how badly the show underused Schnapp in the first season. Quote, we always knew when we cast Noah, we need a one in a million kid, but then we're going to ask him to do very little for a year and then see if we get lucky enough to get a second season. Because if those two things line up, this kid's going to become the centerpiece and Noah is at the center of season two. And it's really just an exceptional performance from him. Here, here. And then finally, casting director Carmen Cuba took time to talk up some of the new characters for season three, including, including Maya Hawke, who just starred in the BBC adaptation of Little Women, which finished airing on PBS recently. And she said, I enjoy that they enjoy, that is the casting process. So it was fun, but the whole time I was like, they better pick Maya Hawke. Uh, what's great about her is just like these kids and the other ones is that she's just an individual. So anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, we've got a lot of new characters coming at us in season three. So that's pretty good. It's going to be interesting. And I think we've talked about this before, but it's going to be interesting what they do with Will Byers. Mm -hmm. And if they like, if he's not just possessed again, right. Kind of a thing. So not because three times in a row, that'd be, that'd be hard. Yeah, I mean, they talked about Millie getting to be a, a normal teenager this season. I hope Noah gets to as well. Both of them have had a rough go of it in terms of just being able to be normal. Yeah, yeah. All right. And now we're going to kind of switch gears into why we wanted to get together today, because Daryl reached out to our Golden Spiral Media team and said, hey, uh, on Stranger Things, we're going to be looking at films that inspire uh, or you know, are relevant to this time period in the, in the early to mid eighties. And so when he said, we're going to get together and talk about ET, who wants to come on? And I was like, me, 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 me. <laughs> yeah. And let me just kind <laughs> so, of interject here for a second, John, yeah. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up, but yeah, so we are going to be doing it. You know, we're doing one episode a month until stranger things comes back. We had originally talked about doing some roundtable discussions or re recaps of the previous seasons. And we are still going to do those. We've now, instead of stringing those out over the course of several months, we're just probably going to do one roundtable recap of season one, one roundtable recap of season two, and those we'll do right before season three. So we won't even know when we're going to do those until we get a date for season three. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, once a month, our, our monthly podcast will be taking a look back at, as you said, John, films that inspired or had some sort of creative influence on Stranger Things. And so that's when, in case you're wondering why I announced today's episode as E.T. the Extraterrestrial, now hopefully it makes sense. So, But we've got one more news item before we get into that, which, as John said, you're so good at this, John. 
uh, kind of ties into this whole thing today. <laughs> Absolutely. This is from sci-fi.com. It's no secret that Netflix's Stranger Things was heavily inspired by the films of Steven Spielberg that the director made or helped make in the 1980s, such as E.T., Gremlins, The Goonies, and Poltergeist. His themes of childhood and suburbia infused with the supernatural and also a Stephen King motif were cinematic mainstays of the Reagan era, having a huge bearing on the Duffer brothers when they set out to create their hit show, although they didn't know just how massive it would become at the time. Spielberg has already stated that he enjoys the throwback series and definitely recognizes his influence on the content. While speaking to James Cameron for Cameron's six-part docuseries on AMC about the story of science fiction, Spielberg expounded on what makes Stranger Things such a great piece of nostalgic television. Quote, Stranger Things is pure science fiction, he said. It touches on a lot of the movies that you and I and others have made, but it does so brilliantly. It's a brilliant amalgam of genres, but all having to do with one thing. You love those kids, and you do not want anything bad to happen to them. Stranger Things, for all its brilliant imaginings, is about those characters. Indeed. Fantastic. You know what else was about the characters? The TV show Lost, but I digress. <laughs> and French. <laughs> That's true. There was some French. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. We are talking today about E.T. or the extraterrestrial. Its release date was June 11, 1982, and its budget was $10.5 million, and it garnered from the box office $792.9 million. And from Box Office Mojo, we see that it is basically the fourth highest grossing film of all time. Uh, only behind Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, and The Sound of Music. And of course, these are adjusted in today's dollars. So. Yeah. And this, it's kind of weird. So that $792.9 million box office, that's the worldwide box office. The right. the right. box office mojo, I couldn't find an, an adjusted for inflation for worldwide box office. Theirs is domestic box office and so it's based off of its domestic box office which was 435 million at the time which was equal to basically 1.3 billion in today's dollars which is just astounding staggering yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right the film stars d wallace as mary henry thomas as elliot peter coyote as keys robert mcnaughton as michael Drew Barrymore as Gertie, and she was seven years old at that time. Pat Wall, uh, pa, excuse me, Pat Welsh as the voice of E.T. And a great note on this, she was an elderly woman who lived in Marin County, California. Welsh smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, which gave her voice that <laughs> quality. <laughs> that sound effects creator Ben Burt really liked. And she spent nine and a half hours recording her part and was only paid 380 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like a thousand that. bucks today in today's money. So that's not bad. <laughs> thousand bucks for nine and a half hours of work. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, to be that iconic. Uh, yeah. Of yeah, course. I would, uh, you'd also have to smoke two packs a day to get that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Don't hey, know. Dad, what if I did that? Uh, it wouldn't be worth it, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Just say no. Yeah. Just say no. All right. We have Casey Martell as Greg, Sean Fry as Steve, and C. Thomas Howell as Tyler. Of course, the film was directed by Steven Spielberg, written 
by Melissa Matheson and the composer, the incomparable John Williams. Oh my gosh. I, sometimes I watch this movie and I go, I think, I, I think, uh, Henry Thomas's performance is my favorite part of this film. And sometimes mm-hmm. I watch it and I go, no, it's the, just the nuance and the innocence that Drew Barrymore brings to this film. And then other times I go, are you kidding me? It's, Freaking John Williams score. Nothing beats that. So, yeah. Absolutely. There was, a, there was a DVD. Um, there was a DVD extra with uh, the latest, well, Star Wars Episode Eight, And if you get the, the digital version of it, you can get the film with the score only. So there's, <gasps> so there's no dialogue or anything like that. And, and I think this is, this is a business that we need to get into very quickly because we could go back through any of John Williams films and, and do this and just have a score only uh, film a version of the film. And it would, these would sell off the shelves. I'm, I have no doubt. Oh yeah. It reminds me of a few years ago, we were still doing the fringe podcast when they re-released Jurassic Park into theaters. And I remember mm-hmm. talking about it on the podcast about whether or not, you know, Oh, should we go see it? Is it worth it to go see it? We've seen Jurassic Park. I mean, come on. It's, it's iconic. We've all seen it 50,000 times. And I remember saying on the podcast, are you kidding me? The opportunity to go and hear that soundtrack alone in a theater quality sound system is well <laughs> worth the admission price to go see this again. You don't get that. We have these great sound systems, surround sounds in our living room, but not many of us have the ability to afford a theater level surround system. And so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. People, anytime you get a chance to hear these these soundtracks um, at, at, at theater quality, go see them. It just is worth it. I've never seen Jurassic Park. I know. Mm. Seen, you've brought that up several times. And it pains me every time. I, I've it. seen parts of it and I didn't like it. So I don't want to watch it. Mm. Are they Are they bringing it out like? near you with the new Jurassic World coming? Like, are they going to do a retro? I haven't seen that they are, uh, but I haven't, okay. I hadn't thought to look for that either, but not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's do some fun facts about E.T. Addie, why don't you kick it off? All right. So other titles considered for E.T. were um, A Boy's Life and Night Skies. Steven Spielberg shot most of the film from the eye level of a child to further connect with Elliot and E.T. And I didn't know this. So when we were rewatching the film last night, I tried to kind of keep that point of view to, to see if I could notice it. And I definitely noticed it, but I had not noticed it until I read this earlier in the day. Well, and, and telling you from seeing it in the theater, that's what makes the whole keys bit that's Mm. what makes it work is Mm. that you're as tall as that man's waist anyway when you're that when you're that age and so like if that's what you see and hear and all that oh it's 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 chilling actually yeah yeah it's a great point yeah yeah in the halloween scene when et sees a yoda costume and seems to recognize him suggests that they are from the same galaxy (laughs) and in star wars episode one the phantom menace uh, in the gigantic um, senate scene where all the senators are on their feet shouting you can see in the lower right corner uh, an entire pod of et species like you know uh, uproar and shouting and stuff like that (laughs) i feel kind of silly because i can remember watching and, and this scene that we have in this film where E.T. seems to recognize Yoda, 
I remember it. I remember thinking it was funny. Oh, he's an alien. He's an alien. Da, 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 da. And I knew that the ETs were that Easter egg in episode one of mm-hmm. Star Wars. But I had never gone back since recognizing that, which I've known for a decade or longer about the, the ET Easter egg in Star Wars, and never put the two scenes back together. And so when I, when I, again, when I was putting these notes together, I'm like, oh my gosh, it just puts that. New meaning, like they they planted the Easter egg in ET. They confirmed it in in uh, the Phantom Menace, and and uh, so yeah, great work all around. <laughs> Loved it. At the auditions, Henry Thomas thought about the day his dog died to express sadness. Director Steven Spielberg cried and offered him the role of Elliot on the spot. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that audition tape? It's on YouTube. No, uh, one second. It is so good. I haven't watched it in a long time. It's been a few years since I saw it last, but it is, it is amazingly good. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him say, you got it, kid. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> really good. Uh, let's see. The script was largely written while on location filming for Raiders of the Lost Ark during filming breaks. Steven Spielberg dictated the story to screenwriter Melissa Matheson, who was there with her then-boyfriend and future husband, Harrison Ford. It's really a small world, after all. Mm -hmm. All right. The filmmakers had requested that M&Ms be used to lure E.T., but the Mars Company denied their request, fearing that E.T. was so ugly he would frighten children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Reese's Pieces were used instead, and as a direct result, we Reese's Pieces sales skyrocketed. And I remember this. They were all over the place. Uh, E.T.'s novelization still referred to the candies as M&M's as opposed to Reese's Pieces. That is fantastic. Reese's Pieces are maybe my favorite candy of mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I yeah. love them. Yeah, every time it's like your birthday or something, we always get you like 50 boxes of them. <laughs> yeah, she does. She, she's, yeah. Every year you're like, hmm, I wonder what you got me. Oh, Reese's Pieces, I never would have guessed. <laughs> hey, go with what works. Awesome. E.T.'s <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, face was modeled after poet Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein, and a pug dog. <laughs> really? I thought they were, thought they were modeling it after you, Dad. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Oh. I love oh. you too. I heard, I heard the Demogorgon was modeled after you. Oh, wow, that's so funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Corey Feldman was originally scheduled for a role in ET, but over the course of a script rewrite, his part was eliminated. Spielberg felt so bad about the decision that he promised Feldman a part in his next planned production, which turned out to be Gremlins. Wasn't he mouth? He was mouth in uh, in Goonies. Like, I recognize his name and I like knew who he was. I don't know why, but I, I just like, after I watch a movie, usually I'll like google all the characters and stuff. The same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of Gremlins, that will be our movie for next month. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, he's um, he's Billy's friend that I was introduced to the Mogwai. So, all right. The script was being developed at Columbia at the same time as another script about an alien visitation. So the studio did not want to make both. So the head of the studio had to choose which film to make. He decided to let E.T. go and make 
Starman. Bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> I think Starman so, did about 25 to 30 million at the box office. It was I've awful. never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, that's not time you need to waste. <laughs> so, so, so far we've heard about regrettable decisions from Columbia and from the M&M Mars Company. It's <laughs> like how many things they wasted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when the kid in the Yoda costume is seen, you can hear a snippet of Yoda's theme from The Empire Strikes Back. John Williams composed the music for both Empire and E.T. Did you know that, John? Yes. Yeah, I did yeah. not until I started putting yeah. these notes together. So I went back and listened to them side by side. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at one point, Gertie looks down at E.T. and says, I don't like his feet. <laughs> this is a line that was ad-libbed by Drew Barrymore and was actually her referring to the grouping of wires coming out of the E.T. puppet. And she also ad-libbed the line, give me a break, after Elliot tells her only little kids can see E.T. <laughs> that's great i mean i, I love as i mentioned i loved her character in this movie anyway but knowing those little pieces of uh ad-libbing i mean because she's seven years old i mean that's yeah. awesome that you said she was three <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't tell how old she was yeah i thought she, i thought she was like four or something i, yeah, I couldn't i tell. actually thought she was five when even when i said she was three but i was wrong <laughs> All right. The Atari video game for this film was one of the biggest critical and commercial failures in video game history, leading to thousands of unsold cartridges getting buried in a landfill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've got a memory on this. <laughs> At the time I had, um, I did not have, I've never had an original Atari system, but of course a number of my friends did. And I would go over to their houses and they were like, Oh yeah, the ET game and, you know, so on and so forth. And I played this thing. It was awful. I mean, just it, it's an eight bit of course anyway. And so ET looks like just this blob with this kind of snout coming out of it, which mm -hmm. is horrible. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's YouTube depictions of this gameplay. It's it's just terrible. And the the objectives were uh, like nothing. And oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember where I played the game. We had an Atari, but I don't think we owned this game. I think we played it at my cousin's house. They had everything. And like they had a laser disc player and, uh, you know, an actual green screen computer, like a, one of those early Mac computers and stuff. And um yeah. I think it was at their house that I played it. And I can remember playing it and just going, what's the point of this game? I don't, this game is not fun at all. Let's go, let's go back and play Pitfall or something. And uh, yeah, it was not a good game. And it really did. Like the, there was this, John, you, I'm sure you know this. There was this legend for years that it had gotten buried in landfills. And people were like, no, surely they didn't just, because I mean, to bury it in a landfill is to take all your money literally and just dump it. And you might as well be burning money at that point. Right. But it's true. A few, a few years ago, they went and they did some research and they found the place in the landfill where they felt like they were most likely at and they kept digging and sure enough, there they were. It's true. They were all buried in the landfill. <laughs> so funny. Uh, terrible. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what we're going to do at this point is we're, we've got a, a few segments left. We're, we're going to talk about through the film or about the film. We're going to uh, talk about how this film ties into Stranger Things. And it was really cool for me rewatching the film because I had not seen it since 
watching Stranger Things. I think, Addie, we watched this E.T. maybe two or three years ago was the last time we watched the it film. Really? Yeah. Was it? How long do you think it was? Last year? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think we'd seen Stranger Things yet uh, when when we watched it. We we had some family movie nights where we watched several 80s movies. But but anyway, it, for me this time, having watched Stranger Things, it, was, it definitely put a new perspective on it. So we're going to talk about how this film ties into Stranger Things. We're going to talk about some of our memories from when we first saw the film, which will be different for John and I than it will be for Addie, of course. And then we'll talk about some of our favorite moments of the film. But uh, let's talk about some of the, the ways that this film ties into Stranger Things. And John, I don't know if you've got more notes to add to this, so obviously um feel free to add anything else but one hmm. thing that i didn't realize until Addie and i rewatched the film last night was the very first opening shot of the film is exactly that of stranger things it starts with mm-hmm. a uh, the camera pointing at the starry sky and then panning down to the landscape below so that was i didn't expect that i completely had forgotten about that yeah i didn't put them together but you're right yeah that's that is the exact same um, our second tie-in is, of course, the kids playing D&D, followed by an alien encounter in the backyard. And and I picked up on this from the very first time that we saw the guys, you know, playing D&D um, within Stranger Things. It was like, oh, yeah, this is very comfortable. So, Oh, really? I didn't yes. remember that they were playing D&D. I mean, honestly, until Colby started playing it a few years ago, I wasn't that familiar with D&D, so I don't know that I would have recognized it, you know, literally right in front of my face and not really recognize. When I was a kid, I don't know about for you, John, but like D&D was, this, it was of the devil. Like only Satan, <laughs> yeah. Satanist kids played that game. And we weren't, I didn't grow up in a religious household at all. Like we went to church and we were with my grandparents, but that was, and when I was real small, but but after my parents got divorced, we didn't go to church at all unless it was like with my grandparents. They went, you know, every time. But yeah, like D and D had for had this perception of being like of the devil, so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have really recognized it. Well, unfortunately, um, it it kind of still does to this day. So uh, at least in in where where we're at. But anyway, D and D was I I don't know how old D and D is, but it was definitely on the rise. Like it was a conversation piece at school all the you know all the time. And I okay. remember going to this one guy's house who was who was just this, I don't know, 10th level dungeon master or whatever. And he tried to explain this thing to me and it, my mind was blown. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, with, with, uh, with watching these guys play, it's like, oh yeah, this, this is just like, just like ET. And, and Mike always comes to mind to me when we're doing this, because he's the one that like goofs off with it and makes the voices and yeah, that kind of a thing. So um, Dungeons and Dragons came out in 1974. Oh, look at Thanks, you with your Googling over there. Nice job. <laughs> and you thought nice. I was talking to my friends. <laughs> well, you did have Discord up just a minute ago. <laughs> Sorry, I have friends. Well, they can wait till after the podcast. John is your friend we're talking to right now. Hello, friend. <laughs> Hello, friend. <laughs> is it my turn? It or is, my- oh. yeah, yeah. Mike's bond with Eleven is just like... Um, Elliot's bond with E.T. Definitely. Mm-hmm. We talked yeah. about this in one of our episodes when when Mike goes to school after playing sick to stay home with Eleven, then he goes to school and you know, it wasn't like he didn't get drunk or anything like Elliot did, but there was a lot of similarities in those two scenes that were shot. Sure. Do you remember that? 
Sure. You don't remember that? <laughs> sure. She teases me because I'm old and forgetful, and she's the one that doesn't remember that. <laughs> well, and I'll add, I'll add, a, I will add something here that, you know, Eleven makes the Millennium Falcon toy fly, yeah. right? Yeah. And E.T. does the same thing. Not the Millennium Falcon, but he makes things like move and fly and all that. Right. And uh, and kind of freaks out Elliot at one point. So, yeah, definitely another another similarity. Yeah. We saw Star Wars toys. I mean, Elliot went through all of his little toys yeah. that he had. A lot of those were Star Wars toys. So it was nice to see that, too. We even oh. had, um, what was his name? Lando. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> Justin started talking about Lando in one of the oh, yeah. episodes. That's right. Um, okay, I don't know if you remember this. In season one, I read somewhere, and Eddie, we talked about it way back when on our podcast, but Millie was directed to kind of model her character after E.T. So this kind of wide-eyed, wonderful, innocent, learning things, observing, you know, all those types of innocence that we see in E.T. And when you when you look at Millie or at 11 in season one, you definitely see she's kind of an E.T. in a lot of ways because she's experiencing this world for the first time and trying to figure out what all these things are that the rest of us just kind of take for granted. All right. And then, of course, we have the kids on bikes <laughs> and kids flying on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> While they're still pedaling. <laughs> yeah, we were having the funnest time making fun funnest. of this movie. Yes, the funnest. <laughs> it's a word. Uh, making fun of this movie while we were it's a wonderful movie don't get i love the movie but there's so much to make fun of too and uh the kids pedaling like why are they pedaling like if they stopped pedaling would it be like et like oh no i can't make you fly unless you're pedaling it's the same thing when you put a dog and you like hold him up over water they just they they paddle right so when you put a kid on a bike you just you gotta pedal no matter what you're doing yeah Although I have to admit, I think if they weren't pedaling, it would have looked odd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but it looks funny. Because, yeah. I mean, like, they had to be pedaling because they obviously filled it in front of a green screen and they right. had to look like they were moving. But right. still, it's just <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. And then, like, we were also making fun of all the things that they were wasting, like the uh, flashlight battery because he just, like, left it on. And then, like, the Reese's Pieces and the pizza. What else was that? the coffee? The the mom yeah, spilled the coffee. It. Yeah, ET is the reason we have all these problems with with waste in our society. Just <laughs> thing after thing is just Reese's pieces are just thrown away. There was something else too, but was it the light in the room? I don't think so. But yeah, if you, it's funny. They just waste so much. Um, oh, Addie, I think you're next. Oh. A shady government organization is the villain. He spelled villain wrong, so I had to correct it for you. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. <laughs> that reminds me, at church this morning, um, he was talking and he said, there is two things. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Eddie is a little bit of an English nerd. She gets that from her mom. And her mom is like... I thought I was like English nerd and then I married Carrie and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an ignoramus. Because <laughs> Carrie is like, excuse me, that needed a hyphen in that word. And no yeah. one else knows hyphens except Carrie. But anyway, there you go. I'm very glad that Addie I'm cares pretty about sure such things. I overuse commas instead of like, because most people, 
they like never use commas, but I use them like every other word. So does William Shatner. So you're in good company if you overuse. <laughs> I don't commas. know who that is. How can you not know who William Shatner is? He's right behind you. There's three versions of him right behind you. The Captain Kirk bobblehead, the Twilight Twins. Zone bobblehead, and the Twilight Zone lunchbox all have William, are all of William Shatner. So he's like really old. <laughs> yes. Well, to you, he, yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's getting there. Yeah. yeah. He's 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 not a spring chicken. What? <laughs> there I go using phrases she doesn't understand. Um, so another another tie-in is the makeover scene in in ET. We see. Gertie, she's left home alone with E.T. for like, I don't know, an hour, maybe. And in that time, she totally makes over E.T., puts the wig on and clothes and all that stuff, which is very similar to what the boys do uh, when they make over 11 so they can get her into the school. What do you mean? Her name's Eleanor. <laughs> That's right. She's from where? Sweden? I think so, yeah. I, I was like, it's either Sweden or Switzerland. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Sweden. <laughs> I get those mixed up too. Sorry, guys from Sweden and Switzerland. They both start with us. They're, they're just dumb the Americans. Thing. I can't help it. <laughs> I, uh, where's Australia? <laughs> it's next to Austria. Oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> wait, is it Marjorie? Or? It's John's. Oh. All right. So the director of photography, Tim Ives, is quoted as saying, In E.T., Elliot goes to the woodshed when he's looking for the find the monster. Will is looking to get away from a monster and hide. So there's a shot very similar that was an homage. It's very wide, looking back at the house on the left and the shed on the right. It was sort of a signature shot for us, and I think the audience responded quite well to it. Now, frankly, I have no idea what he's talking about here. So he, Yeah, he's talking about in E.T., the very beginning when Elliot goes, he's got the pizza in the hand and he walks out yeah. to the shed. The pizza that he wastes. Yeah. And <laughs> so the light's coming from the shed, kind of illuminating his, his face and front body. Um, mm -hmm. In Stranger Things, they mirrored this when Will is running from the Demogorg and he runs out of the house and he's running to the shed. There's really more light coming upon Will than should be. Uh, but they mm -hmm. did that. They kind of flooded his the front of his face and his, his body with that light to kind of pay homage to this film. So there's, there's, it's a lot longer okay. in E.T. It's just a moment in Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, but okay. if you look at them side by side, they, I mean, you definitely see the homages there. Excellent. Yeah, very cool. Um, oh. Justin has an E.T. toy on a shelf in his room. I forgot about that. Yeah, we were talking last night, John, Addie and I were, and we couldn't remember. I'm hoping your memory is better than ours. When mm -hmm. Elliot is luring, he's trying to lure E.T. out by dropping the clumps of Reese's pieces Mm -hmm. Dustin did a similar thing to lure Dart into the storm cellar. Addie was thinking it was little chunks oh, of into, nougat. Oh, into the but, um, storm cellar? Mm -hmm. I thought you were just talking about like what he fed. It was bologna. It was bologna. Yes. 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 Okay. Good for you, Addie. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember what it was, but yeah. Yeah. So that also you could see, uh, or you could say is a, is a kind of a similarity thing between the two. Yeah, I thought you were just talking about like what he fed him because like no, they, I remember that they both yeah. like nougat. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. a lot of similarities, especially when you watch them 
If you go back, if you if you're like me and you haven't seen ET in a while, go back and we watch it, it again. Yesterday. I'm just saying before yesterday. <laughs> Golly, <laughs> folks, if you don't have a teenager, <sighs> I have okay. three of them in my house right now. So. Yeah, you know how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best thing and the worst thing. Most yeah. of the best thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. You mean only the best thing? What are you talking? Yes, that's exactly what I meant. Sorry, I don't know if that came out differently than that. Uh, anyway, a lot of similarities. I, more, much more than I re- remembered or, or even thought existed. So this was really cool for me to go back and watch this and kind of see those similarities. But I mean, the bikes and the government organization. Yeah, I knew all that, but then you see them, and it's like, oh my gosh, that is so much out of Stranger Things. <laughs> This is interesting because there there were amazingly very few toys that came out with this film in the merchandising kind of mega-ness that was Star Wars and, and yeah. everything else. Even, shoot, even Buck Rogers from the 25th century or whatever um, had a whole line of toys and everything. But there were very little E.T. merchandise out there besides shirts with him on it and, mm-hmm. you know, a few of the, the dolls themselves. But, yeah, this um, very little. Yeah, okay. Well, let me ask you, John, just kind of get it set us up for our next segment. Uh, How old are you, if I may? Sure, I'm 47. Okay, I'm 42. And that that makes a whole lot of sense. So, you know, we talked about we talked about uh, Drew Barrymore. She was seven when this when she I don't know if she was seven when the when the film was shot or when it came out. Let's see. Hmm. She was born in 1975. So, yeah. So, she would have been probably six when they filmed it. Like, what we see yeah, on yeah. film is her at six years old, I would I would guess. She was seven when the film came out. She's 43 now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. year younger than she is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was born in 76. So, John, yeah. You're, you're not much older than me, but you're older enough. Because, again, I was five, right? If, if yeah. She, or, yeah. or six when the film came out. So, I really... The film didn't matter to me when it came out. So this next segment, we're going to be talking about our memories from the first time that we saw the film. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. John, because I'm betting your experience with the first take of the film is probably different, definitely different than Addie's. I mean, she's 15. You know, it's probably 13. I did, and I'm not sure why. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, Addie. It happens. I can't, I can't keep mine straight at all. (laughs) Your your brother's 13. Maybe that's what I'm saying. He's nine. Um, But anyway, John, just in that few years difference between you and I, what were, what are your first memories and experiences with this film? Well, yeah. And so I was 11 when this film came out. And so you're right. I mean, this and and for me, the succession of, you know, Star Wars in 1977, Superman in 1978, The Empire Strikes Back in 80, Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81, E.T. in 82. So, I mean, if you if you put these theater. Yeah, exactly. If you put these theater experiences together, I mean, I, I, I came up in the golden age to be this age. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, when E.T. came out, it, I mean, this was the the summer blockbuster of 1982. And so, I saw this several times in the theater and I was blown away just like anybody my age was. I, it's kind of one of those things of now where it's, you know, it's it's socially acceptable to to tear something down just because it's popular. And we just didn't do that back in, in this time period. 
And I mean, you didn't, everyone who went to this film loved this film. My parents, of course, went with me. And I mean, this was, this was an amazing thing because it was, it was really a story that showed a ton of hope, a ton of, you know, acceptance from, from a certain point of view. It was about family and you know something that you really didn't see a single mom family a lot in films and so this was a big thing because it was such a widespread audience that saw this film so there were a number of things that were kind of brought to the social awareness and forefront of this film and you know we'll you know we'll talk about our, our our specific favorite moments here in a little bit but yeah i mean this 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 took over the the you know especially America's kind of consciousness for a while it 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 just it really yeah took over and it was it was fabulous yeah cool that yeah that's completely different than than my experience would have been so what uh, yeah go ahead and tell us I mean what are your kind of what do you do you have any personal well, connections or anything that you specifically happened to well, you around this film. Well, I think, you know, and just the way I'm emotionally wired, you know, the, the, the end scene particularly is what really kind of kills me is that, you know, E.T. says goodbye to them all and gets in the ship and goes, right? And, and I am just, you know, I am just bawling in tears, right? And, you know, this is when I was 11. And, and as I've watched the film, as I've grown up, and as I've introduced it to my children, you know, again, I, it, Every single time that I watch the film, it still affects me deeply now because I see it from mom's point of view. Yeah. Right. So you were about and, the same age as Elliot then. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And so now I see it as from, from Mary's point of view and, and watching her children have to go through this and the, and the experiences that will forever kind of shape her children. And, that, and I, it still just tears me up every time that I see it. And because uh, it's just been something that's been with me, you know, throughout my life. Elliot, or the kid who plays Elliot, Henry Thomas, he's 46 now. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> he was a cute little kid. Well, yeah. I'm sure he's I don't know. now a very good looking man. Eh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really attracted to like, you know, 46 year olds. That's true. I I can't fault you for that. I'm actually quite happy to hear that. (laughs) I I prefer um, 57 year olds. Uh, I got creepier. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it took a turn. (laughs) It did. It's a good meme, bro. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got in here, my, my 12th birthday party was completely, I had an ET cake. Uh, we all gathered at the local mini golf place and we played the arcade games and we played mini golf and it was a, it was a, a total ET theme. So to my, to my 12th birthday and I, yeah, I just, I love, I love this film. Yeah. <laughs> love, love, love this That's film. so crazy. I mean, you know, again, I, I'm, I, I think it's cool that we can put it in terms of you're a year older or younger than, than Elliot was. Older. Yeah, you're older. You're, you're, you're older, older than yeah. Elliot. I mean, you're younger than Gertie. 
And mm -hmm. but that still puts us really close to those two characters for those who are kind of trying to visualize what little John was at that at this era, what little Daryl was at this era. <laughs> little Daryl. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So I had no experience when it came out. I was probably didn't even know it existed as it as it entered into you know, pop culture or even beyond pop culture. Cause I really wasn't tied into pop culture at that day, but it did it. It, yeah. it seeped its way into um, America, kind of like Michael Jackson during that era too. It's like mm -hmm. you couldn't yeah. go anywhere. Cause well, of course, Michael Jackson was on TV and, and so was ET for commercials and stuff. But I mean, you couldn't go to the store or anywhere. Like it just, it reached that echelon that is just saturated into everywhere. And so probably as it achieved that is where I at least became familiar with the film. And I, I remember knowing that it was a film that existed, but no interaction with the film whatsoever. My dad and stepmom married in 85, I believe it might've been 86. Um, so, you know, three to four years after the film came out and I can remember my stepmom had it on VHS and mm -hmm. so that's when and she i remember just she loved the film i remember just from a few conversations like oh my gosh well, like because we, we didn't have a whole lot of films that we owned you mm -hmm. know when i was a kid when dad and mom were still married we didn't watch movies we didn't go to movies like i remember seeing indiana jones uh probably temple of doom in the theater and i can remember seeing uh star wars uh, episode five in the theater, uh, the return <laughs> of the Jedi. But, um, but that was it. Those are the only two movies that I can recall seeing in the theater. And with those, we were with extended families, like grandparents, cousins. So probably the cousins were in town and cause they lived in Kansas and we went to see the films because of that. Those are the only two movies I can ever remember going to see until my dad and stepmom got married. And we very, still very rarely went. it was on a birthday, we'd go see a horror flick. We didn't go to a whole lot of movies, but we, when movies came out on VHS, I mean, every weekend there was a fistful of movies that we were watching all weekend long. We, we, we just, really went through movies on VHS, but we hmm. didn't own a lot. But this was one that my stepmom owned and it was because she loved it so much. And so I can remember watching the film at some point on that copy of it and going, oh, this is a really cool film. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, but not having the reaction that you did, John. I don't remember it being really overwhelming or, or really having a lasting impact on me. Just that, it, oh, so yeah, I can see why everyone likes this film. It's, it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, I can also remember having a puzzle. We had a puzzle in the house. There was this, and it was a great puzzle. It was that closet scene when, you know, Elliot and Gertie's mom um, opens the closet door and E.T. is in there, like totally still blending in with all the stuffed animals. And we don't really get the wide shot of it in the film, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a great shot. There was a puzzle that was that whole wide shot of the whole closet filled with toys. It was like a where's Waldo and ET is hidden in there. And mm -hmm. we had that puzzle. And I just remember thinking how much fun it was to try to put that. Cause it was a really challenging puzzle. While all these stuffed animals that look basically the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the only other memory I really have of the film we had it. I think. I think we had it on record, and there were these. Oh, there were these yeah. records during that time that were not the entire film. We had one for Jungle Book too. That I think I actually had from when Mom and Dad were married. But I don't think ET came along until 
dad and stepmom. But you'd put this record on the record player and it came with this, you know, the album cover had a book that went along with it. And you could read along in the book and listen to, and it was actual dialogue from the movie. It wasn't voice actors doing it. It was the dialogue from the movie. So it was basically a a shortened version of the film on these records. Did you have any of those, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, I sure did. I, I don't know that I had ET, but yeah, um, all the old power records and stuff like that, where they do comic books and stuff like that. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I can only ever remember having the Jungle Book, which was the animated Disney movie, and uh, an ET. There might have been others, but those are the only two that I can recall. But I, I remember. <laughs> so when we're watching the movie last night, there's still those pieces of dialogue that that were in that book that they resonate with me on a deeper level because it's like, oh my gosh, I can, yeah. you know, I can remember that. And in the in the in those records, you know, it's a record. Your imagination is is thinking about what. Gertie looked like when she said that line, for example. And then, you know, and so that was really my first memory of it. And then, and then seeing it on, on film came later or certainly didn't have the lasting impression on me that, that that record did. Yeah. How about you, Addy? Addy, that's the old timers point of view. What about you? (laughs) Um, well, the first time I saw it, I remember that Greg looked like Dustin. And whenever we watched it yesterday, I was like, wow. He still looks like Dustin. <laughs> yeah. Especially when he puts on his hat there towards the end, like yeah. when they're going to go on the bike chase. Yeah. That's when he looks like Dustin. Like before he puts on the headphones. And he has like the hair and everything. So. And then I also remembered that we um, watched it together. You and me? Our whole family. You're not my only family member. I'm the only one that matters right now. You're not that special. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many times have you seen the film now, Eddie? Two. Just the two. Okay. John, what about uh, you? Oh, gosh. It's it's probably 20 or more. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so. probably at like six, four to yeah. six. And this is an interesting thing. I'd love to, I'd love to get Eddie's take on this is that my my kids don't resonate with this film like 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 last night i said hey i'm gonna be talking about et tomorrow you know do you guys want to watch it with me and they're like resoundedly no (laughs) so and i find this a lot i find that a lot of younger folks just don't like they're not attracted to this film. I even was talking to a 30 year old today at lunch mm. and I was like, you know, tell me your memories about, you know, this film and all. And he's just like, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I think I saw it once. It just, it really it didn't hit me. And so I just, I wonder if it's truly a product of its time or if it just doesn't resonate and, and speak the same way as it did back then. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm too steeped in it. And maybe I'm to- the total other extreme. What do you think, Addy? Um, I don't know. I like I like E.T. It's a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my friend Peyton, and he he said that he liked E.T. too. So okay, okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe I, it's be an interesting sociological study to me. Yeah, I know. When we were going to watch it, we talked about all day. Even the day before, hey, we're watching E.T. after dinner tomorrow. We're watching E.T. after dinner. You know, just trying to to make sure everybody was aware, you know, showers need to get done and all that stuff so we can watch the film. Yeah. And yeah. even after that, like Colby, 
he's again he's 13 it came time to watch and he's like do i have to watch it <laughs> well well you're not recording the podcast so i guess not so he didn't he he went and played on the computer with his friends he doesn't have friends he just knows those guys <laughs> whatever so yeah I, I, but he's seen it before like if he hadn't seen it yet I think maybe he would have, but he was like, I've seen it before. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah, I didn't really want to watch it again either. I mean, I liked it, but like, I don't know. I've already seen it. Yeah. I think there will be other films that we'll be talking about. Gremlins next week, The Goonies, and a few others that Addie has seen. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that I, my impression from having watched her watch those is that she did resonate with some movies from that era more than others. And I, th- I think the Goonies is, is one of those films. Is that right? Yeah. I liked the Goonies. Like whenever you mentioned the uh, gremlins, I was like, eh, that one's okay. But I like the Goonies. Oh, Addy, 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 Addy. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny when the old lady flies out the window though. On the on gremlins. Yeah, yeah. That is pretty funny actually. <laughs> Yeah. And again, Gremlins is what we're going to be talking about next month. Not with John. We'll have a different co-host. But John, you can... And and this is probably as good a spot to mention it as as any. if we we will publish the date uh, the 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 schedule for the movies that we're going to be watching. So if you want to call in your thoughts, memories, and and tie in things you observed about the movies, we welcome that. We want that. We know we sprung ET on you guys with really no warning whatsoever. Um, but we will welcome that and and have that set up. By the time uh, it's time to record next month's episode, we'll have the whole list of movies that we're going to be watching. There's not enough months left between now and season three to cover every single film that has played a part in inspiring Stranger Things. So you may want us to do something and and we're not. That's just the way it is. Maybe we'll get to them in a different off-season. But we'll have the list of those that we will be covering and welcome your feedback on those. So, John, of course, you can can do that. Uh, At the same time, we're looking for co-hosts for all those. Our, Our plan is to have one co-host for every single film and we have a couple of them uh that have you know dibs has been claimed on them or whatever but (laughs) but most of them are still up for grabs and gremlins is one of those so if you would like to join us for gremlins send us an email at feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com or you can just go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback and uh there's all kinds of ways to contact us there of course you can tweet us upside down gsm or hit us up on facebook our group is uh, facebook.com slash groups slash stranger things gsm i can say it better yeah but anyway yeah we'd love to have some of you guys join us for future episodes john sorry you're not going to be able to do back to back it's against the rules all right i'll send in my feedback okay i'll 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 be okay with that okay good good thank you for being so understanding (laughs) i didn't know there was a limit (laughs) i'm not saying you can't come again i'm just saying back to back we got to give other people a chance to play in the sandbox he just doesn't like you and he doesn't want you here again (laughs) it's all right it's all right this is my childhood (laughs) i love you john but my love has its limitations Wow. Understood. <laughs> anyway, um, let's dig myself out of this hole. Are there any other memories that you guys want to share before we move on to our next segment? I remember well, you bullying John a couple seconds ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talking about the film E.T. I remember AT&T having a ball with E.T. Phone Home. Oh, I bet. Like that, yeah, that was their... That was their corporate slogan for years. Oh, man. Um, that kind of is 
like knocking loose a cobweb. Maybe, maybe yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. It, they were, yeah, it was everywhere. Okay. I'll have to go to the, to the YouTube and see if there's an old commercial. And I love that, that there's never been a sequel to this film. Yeah. And I don't think there ever will be. And I kind of love that it stands on its own. Yeah. And because this is one of those things, I mean, you hear about lightning in a bottle and getting this group of people together for this particular time and everything like that. And I really think in this case that that is totally true, that trying to put together any semblance of familiarity um, and even bringing, you know, E.T. himself back in uh, just it wouldn't it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. No, I agree. I did read some stuff where originally there was a sequel planned, but it was scrapped for that very reason. They he kind of wanted to just leave it alone and allow it to stand on its own and not try to mess with, you know, a lot of times sequels just muddy things or make things worse. It never very very seldom lives up to the the success or or um, just the magic of of the original movie. So I'm glad they chose not to. If they did have one, I think they should have it like now with the same actors, just like, and then like E.T. comes back and they like talk to him again. And they're, I don't know. That would be cool. I was thinking about what this movie would look like if it were filmed today. And, you know, I love like, we're going to go see Solo tomorrow. We're going, we we went and saw the Infinity War a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, that was good. The what they can do with films today is so amazing with CG and stuff. But gosh, there is something as I'm watching that film last night, going, "This is a puppet. This is amazing." Can you the, the, look at how much ET is like his finger, the way his fingers move, his his facial expressions, his mouth movements? They accomplished so much with just practical effects. Those guys were so talented, and I like it that way. I mean, call me old and crotchety. I don't care. I'm not saying I don't like today's CG films. I do. That's In fact, that is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't know that I want to see this in today's effects. I want, I, if they did it again, I'd want them to go back like they did with you know, Star Wars Episode Seven, where they brought back the practical effects. They, of course, they mixed it with CGI, but they found that mm-hmm. great blend. And that's what I would want if they ever did something again. Because I can't imagine seeing you know, E.T. as a CG. I want him to always be a puppet. Okay, well, now this brings up an interesting point. Like, did you guys watch the theatrical version last night or did you watch this, the the updated special edition as such? Right. We watched the original, the, the 1982 version, not the 20th anniversary edition. Okay, okay. Because, yeah, a lot of those special kind of effects and visual effects stuff was updated in the in release in 2010. And it didn't change a lot about the story at all, but it did clean up a lot of the things that were kind of muddied um, in the theatrical version and everything. And almost too little to notice, but it I thought it was a good kind of redoing. So. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen that version. I did read about it, and I know that I guess there's some controversy in the scene when the kids come face to face with the bad guys. They got them blocked off at the road, and that's when E.T. makes all the kids fly. The two guys that are at the cop cars there have guns in their hands, which is a little bit aggressive. Like, these are kids with an alien. Why are you coming at them with guns? And so that's why yeah. Spielberg yeah. removed those and put walkie-talkies in their hands for that special edition. It was kind of a regret that he had. 
And I don't think that that's a mistake. I mean, I, I can see why some people are like, oh, you're messing with it. To me, that's not Lucasizing his film. You know, he didn't go overboard no. and change, you know, Anakin into, you know, Christian Haydenson and, and or Hayden Christensen and, and, you know, all those things. This, yeah. to yeah. me, that that's a change that makes sense. Like, why would cops be coming after these kids with rifles and pistols and stuff like that? Um, yeah. I think that was the, but I think that was the most egregious, if you will, change. So, I, I mm-hmm. from what I've heard, and read the the updated version is is pretty pretty widely accepted with of course a few detractors what your experience with it is is maybe different or what no no definitely not and i I just i I think what they did clean up just presents the film a little bit cleaner and and better and in my opinion so but yeah no material change to the story content or anything like that so yeah i can't see why anybody would get upset about it okay i didn't even know there was like a whatever anniversary of 20th mm-hmm. yeah I didn't know that existed maybe we should watch it no <laughs> okay. I don't know that you'd honestly Addy I don't know that you'd know the difference so yeah probably not alright well let's uh, close things out today by talking about your favorite moments or your favorite things messages or however you want to break it down favorite things about this film and Addy I think we're going to start with you as crazy as this comment is going to be, let's hear you say it. She's laughing. She's laughing right now because she knows what she's about. We we have a shared Google Doc in case you're wondering why we know what she's about to say. Uh, not scripted, but just her note of what she's about to say. She sounds like Elliot, like she's crying. <laughs> I think it might be the opposite of that. <laughs> when E.T. dies. So you mean that scene when Elliot comes to E.T.'s dead body when he's inside the frozen thing? When he dies. You mean when they declare him dead? I don't know when he just like, dies or whatever. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like I like the part where he um like takes all the things like whenever he's like looking around the house and stuff. And, um, he like finds all like the electronics or whatever and like finesses them. That's uh, steals them for those of you who aren't uh, up on, uh, teenage slang. <laughs> he finesses them. Finesses um, them. Mm. And then like, he like takes them all apart and stuff. And you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's just like breaking all their stuff. And then like, he actually like figures out like what to do with it. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. All based on like a little tiny like newspaper comic. Yeah. Buck Rogers. And then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> but he came back alive. Eh. Which I guess because of that, there's some folks that they're like, oh, this is like a Christian allegory. And Spielberg was like, no, it's not. <laughs> if you got that out of it, that's fine. But my highly devout Jewish mother would not put up with it if I, if I made a, a film that was a Christian allegory. <laughs> yeah. That's too funny. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you saw that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else, Addy? No, that's pretty much it. Okay. Okay. John, what about you? All right. So I'm a huge fan of E.T.'s voice. Just that what they're able to do with it, his expressions are fantastic throughout the film. Um, Especially as as he and Gertie are like chasing each other uh, when she finds him for the first time. So, so good. Yeah. 
<laughs> I enjoy I enjoy drunk ET quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kind of stumbles through the kitchen while Mary's putting the groceries away and stuff. It was funny gets, whenever he like walks into the wall. Yeah, and he, yeah. yeah. She so good. Um Halloween night, I really enjoy um when she, you know, she's so happy and she snaps the picture and he's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> This was another scene that I mean, Stranger Things. Oh yeah, did, like know, all the the moms taking the pictures of them, yeah. and, and like during the, the uh, snowball too. Like they, she was taking pictures of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, the end scene, which I've talked about, just hits me on a deeper level, no matter where I am in life. Yeah, and you know, I'll say John Williams' score is it's it's um, it's it's just something that affects me so deeply whenever I hear it. And it's not just the flying theme, but it's, it's throughout the film. And there's, there's the innocence of the characters and the music that goes along with it. I mean, there's, there there truly is no one else who has the, the kind of emotional writing of the music that goes along with what you're watching. There's, there's just nobody who comes close in my opinion. And Williams is simply a master at it. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're watching the film or not, you know, you can recognize the emotions of where things are in the film simply by the music. And I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, he, he gets a lot of credit for star Wars, which he should, Uh but and maybe it's just because I've heard that Star Wars soundtrack more than any other soundtrack of, in my life. But The Greatest Showman. Yeah, it's different. What, what you're talking about is, is a completely. We're talking about the the accompanying music, not the not the. How do you just? What's there's a word to, to distinguish those two, John? Like a musical. Yeah. Um, like there's there's there's, mm-hmm. there's the film score, then there's the score, the, yeah. the soundtrack, I guess. Um, but I don't know. When I was watching this last night, I was like, "My gosh, this is this is." In some ways, it sounds sacrilege to say so, but in some ways, better than. I mean, the the emotion, the way it ties in emotionally, the little <laughs> hints of <laughs> wonder and innocence that are kind of plucked along in different spots with each character, I <laughs> to me kind of hit. Maybe with the exception of Luke's theme when he's looking over the binary sunset. To me, that that is one of the, the maybe the best cinematic film score moment of all time. But yeah. but overall, with the score, I think I might like this one even better. But you're right. John has so many. I mean, let's just talk about the 80s. The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., uh, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom. Uh, Witches of Eastwick, Superman, uh, The Last Crusade, Born on the Fourth of July, and that's only naming about half of his films from the '80s alone. The guy's just the best. There's no one better. Well, and and Star Wars enthusiasts would pretty much unanimously say that Empire is is the best Williams Star Wars score. And so by the time he had developed the the soundtrack by which he'll be known for the rest of his you know, eternity, yeah. right? The Star Wars one to come to the point where you do, you know, arguably your best work in Empire a few years later, and then you come to a, a different channel. But in ET, you're right; he's using everything that he's that he's gaining and 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 capitalizing on, and coming to this point. And uh, yeah, I would I would agree with you that that for its for the type of film, yeah, absolutely. I think this is uh, amongst his top work. Yeah. He's a he's a gift. I can't imagine movies without 
the incomparable John Williams to mm-hmm. to guide us along those paths. Yeah. So I'm I'm right there with you on, on that. I didn't put it in my notes, but I I won't. Uh, I wish I would have. You and I both loved that moment, that scene when ET and Gertie meet. It's so good. I don't know which one of them freaks out more. Uh, <laughs> she just keeps screaming. Yeah, and and they mirror each other so much in in a lot of ways throughout this movie. Uh, I love though the. I mean, yeah, did Gertie freak out when she saw E.T.? Of course she did. But after that, she, along with every other kid, accepted E.T. at face value. There was no fear. There was no trepidation. It reminds me of, you know, somewhere along the way, we develop boundaries or we identify differences in people and we Mm -hmm. allow those to separate us. Adults are way more guilty of this than kids are. Mm -hmm. You know, kids, when they go to kindergarten, they don't notice color or or disabilities or they certainly Mm -hmm. don't know anything about financial status or education class or any of those things that we develop as adults over time. And I think that this movie is is a great reflection of that. The kids opened E.T. with welcome, or welcomed him with open arms and and loved him for who he was. They were never, again, Gertie kind of freaked out when she first saw him, but but that's natural. She's a six-year-old child. Seven. <laughs> okay. But, um, hopefully I'm communicating this well. Yeah, Whereas yeah. the adults, I mean, as soon as the mom saw E.T., like the kids were like, He's fine. He's not going to hurt us. And she's like, get the kids and run, you know? And, and, uh, that was, I think a really good subtle, maybe not so subtle message of the film, just to kind of remind us to embrace the innocence of childhood when it comes to those sorts of things. One thing that struck me, I had never noticed it until last night's viewing. Um, I'd always seen keys as the bad guy in this film. Wait, wasn't he the one that was talking to um, Elliot? He was like, I wanted this when I was like 10 years old or whatever. That was him? Yeah. Yeah. Keys is not a bad guy. The whole time we think he is. And, you know, the government agency is the big bad. But frankly, I never saw that when I watched it this time. I mean, there was the idea that Elliot was saying, you guys are hurting him. You guys are killing him. But really, in those moments, they were trying to save him. And and the government. Well, we don't know what the government would have done. We 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 like to assume they would have taken ET and experimented on him and cut him apart. And probably that's what they would have done with his de- with his dead body, had he stayed dead. But but really, especially Keys, you know, Keys kind of lets him go. He doesn't. He he kind of is jealous of Elliot that he's getting to experience this thing he always wanted to experience. And and uh, which just kind of reminded me. We we've said this pretty early on in the in the podcast but it always for me needs to, I need to be reminded of this and that is that the the people who you think are the bad guys are not always the bad guys. I never thought and of so Keys as the bad guy. Like we think of Potato as the bad guy <laughs> and he's done some bad things but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if Papa comes back at some point and is actually some sort of good guy hero type of thing. I'm not saying he will be but we shouldn't pass final judgment on him yet. Potato. I, I remember. I remember a big theory at the time was that Keys was was their dad. And oh wow! Yeah, and that's never that's never resolved. And and that's another thing that I kind of really enjoy about this film is that there's just some 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 big time issues that are out there. Like when Mike and Elliot are talking about, you know, 
You know, why do you make it so hard for her? And so on and so forth. And that's that's never really resolved in this film. And I'm 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 really kind of satisfied with that. Yeah, I am too. I don't think it needs to be resolved. I think it's just a picture of what a lot of families were going through. Spielberg himself, that he draws that from his own uh, mm-hmm. childhood where his father was absent and he'd gone yeah. through divorce as a kid and and yeah. he wrote those things into his films. And, you know, I was also a, a kid of divorce. And so I can identify with now my dad went straight from my mom to my stepmom pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have an, a period where a, a very long period where I was a single parent home, but I could certainly identify with, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen my mom since I was like 14 or 12 years old, somewhere around there. I've talked right. to her a few mm-hmm. times, but I haven't seen her. So yeah, I can identify with those things in a lot of ways. And I think they, they help a lot of people identify with these films. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it wasn't resolved. I'm, I'm with you. Um, as far as other favorite moments, I love the bike chase scene, you know, not only the part where they fly, but all that leads up to it, the the cars chasing them and the kids being able to get away with on their bikes because the bike has more flexibility across the different patterns of terrain and stuff. And that of course reminds you a lot of stranger things, but it's just fun to see the kids get away. Invented bikes. Right. That's how it worked. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) <laughs> and and let's be honest, the moment where E.T. makes all of the kids fly, I know Elliot had flown earlier in the film, but that was just to set up what was going to happen here. That I mean, that is the the equivalent to when Eleven flips the van in season yeah. one, uh, which is just another cool, iconic scene. Wait, who was it that said, uh, whoa, did you see that? She flipped the van. Or was it Justin that said it? And then Mike was like, Really? I was there for that or something like that. (laughs) I love how sarcastic the kids are. Yeah, I do too. Uh, And then Elliot there, not when E.T. died, but after (laughs) E.T. died and E.T. is in the the frozen chamber and Elliot is there. I mean, that's the scene that got him the part, I think, and or or a scene similar to that. I don't remember exactly which scene he was reading in that in that audition. It's been a while since I've seen it, but that is it is, like the only scene where he cries? No, he cries a couple of times. Oh, but no, it's really good. I mean, it, it, you get you you get just. I mean, that's that's a huge scene for an actor his age, especially. He's the only one on camera, and he's acting, talking to. You know, sometimes it's a puppet that's moving around, so it's easier to act off of. In this case, you're talking to a, you know, a lifeless dummy. Whatever, or whatever that was that he was, that's a hard scene to act for anyone, let alone a child. And he could not have done a better job. And I just love that, that, that scene for that reason, but also just the, the emotional toll that it, that it brings to the movie and, and, uh, helps you kind of appreciate what happens after that, the resuscitation or resurrection of E.T. And then, you know, the hope that we get from his getting to go home is just a, from there, the, the end of the movie is just amazing and wonderful. Nice. All right, guys. Any other final thoughts? Oh, Elliot was 10 in E.T. 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Amazing, amazing film. I will continue to show it to my kids and hopefully one day my grandkids. And if I'm the only one that likes it, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I doubt that will be the case. 
Well, this was fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to going through this. We're definitely going to be doing these once a month through the end of the calendar year. We don't know when Stranger Things is coming back except for 2019. Does that mean January of 2019 or March of 2019? December 2019. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, if it does turn out that it ends up being January of 2019, then we'll We'll shave off one or two of these probably and uh, and do our recaps episodes in December. But we'll worry about that as we as it as it comes along. So again, our, our schedule may change, but the plan for today, as we said here in May of the year, is to do one of these movies a month um, as we lead up to the um, to the season three premiere. Well, John, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Tell us more about where people can connect with you, what podcast you're doing, if you're on social media, anything you want to give out. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at John P. McGrail, M-C-G-R-A-I-L. And I'm on Facebook at John McGrail. I'm from Salisbury, North Carolina. And I am also found on the Golden Spiral Media Podcast Network on Made of Steel, which is our look at CW's Supergirl. And we're just about to wrap up season three on that. We've actually got four more episodes to go to end up the season. And I'm also uh, a member of TripleCast. We're having to kind of put that on the sidelines right now. But um, that's where we bring three films together and talk about uh, what what makes them uh, a good good fit together, if it be a technical person or a story theme or uh, a particular actor or anything like that. So we'll be bringing those um, periodically from here on out. And so, yeah, I love being a part of the Golden Spiral Media team and can't thank you guys enough. Well, cool. It was a pleasure having you today. You also did a stint on Gotham this season, didn't you? Or a few episodes? Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of like the fifth wheel on the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, whenever yeah, whenever one of them uh, can't make the podcast, I am the they they shine the Gotham undercover sign in the sky, and I'm there. So. <laughs> nice. You're <laughs> the one that responds to the bat signal. That's it. Nice. That's it. Well, cool. John, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It's awesome to get your insights on this movie. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, before we get out of here, then let me remind you how to send in your thoughts and feedback. Again, next month we're doing Gremlins. So you can uh, do that over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. We'd also love to have you join us on Twitter. We are Upside Down GSM. On Instagram or Stranger Things GSM, although we're not really active on there because Addie still has her phone taken away. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and Facebook, Addie, where do they join us there? www.facebook.com slash groups and Stranger Things GSM. All right. Well, thank you, John, again for joining us. Addie, always a pleasure doing podcasting with you. I live with you. I know. It's great, isn't it? No. <laughs> and until next time. Stay strange. <laughs>